Hello Brooklyn, how you do? You where you going? We cannot come to If I can, I'ma be your man You can be my lady and have my baby And drive my car You got me crazy However you going, where you going? Just take me, cause I'm so taken If you take it, I'm just saying Baby, I'm just saying Hello Nets fans, how you doing? It's been a little bit, but we are back. And when I see we, it is a different we. This is still the Russell and Fro podcast, but exciting news to announce to everybody. Carl, the talent Jackson, is a father. Very exciting. We don't know how long he's going to be out of commission, but we would like to dedicate every podcast until he is back to him and his wife and their baby and their baby boy that was just born. I don't know how comfortable he is with me saying other names on here, so I'm just going to keep saying Carl the Talent Jackson. Uh, on the Russell and Fro podcast tonight, we have another Vermont resident, so that's what we're really easing my way into having another co-host. I am Brett the Man Bun Garofalo. Here with me tonight, representing a different part of the state of Vermont, is Alex the Turncoat Canizzo. Uh, Alex, welcome to to Russell and Fro, and um, how are you? The turncoat, huh? I feel very welcome. Um, I'm great. Yeah, you're moving down uh, I-89 about 30 minutes, so you're getting closer to Brooklyn. But uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's been a it's been a short summer so far up here. We've had a really long winter. Uh, haven't done as much hiking as I would like, or played as much basketball, but. It's, uh, you know, it's a good time. And congratulations, of course, to Carl. Of course. Of course, who I've never met, but I'm going to replace him today. I'm going to do a great job. Hopefully, I'll be taking this pot uh, permanently. I'm glad you're treating this as an audition. I hoped you would. Um, I, got, I got some job interviews coming up this next couple of weeks. I'm moving in my girlfriend. I uh, got to get my practice in where I can, you know? Wow, that's a that's a lot of life moves at once. Are you sure you have time for this? No, actually, I'm gonna go. Okay. Well, I've never done a solo pod before, but as a software salesman, I feel like I can fill at least thirty minutes with nothing. Well, let's spare your listeners that, and uh, I'll I'll add some comments, and uh, maybe we can let's try let's try and keep most of the people in for the first five minutes at least. I th- I think we can do that. Why, why don't we start with? Why you are here? Why did why we decided to bring you on as the first non-Carl Jackson co-host of Russell and Fro? Uh, Alex grew up in the sunny, scenic portion of New Jersey, known as Demarest to some. He was the 375th best wrestler in the state, I believe, his senior year of high school. I don't know if that's accurate. That might be a little bit too high, uh, but somehow, some way. Growing up in New Jersey, did not end up a New Jersey Nets fan, and that's what I'm most interested to talk about tonight. So why, why don't you, you know, maybe correct some of the factual information that I just laid out there, and and let us know a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up my wrestling because I was great at it. I was probably in the in the lower two hundreds in in terms of uh, the District One um, New Jersey wrestling. But actually, an interesting Nets connection there is that I wrestled in the districts twice and got completely demolished both times. But it was at the Teaneck Armory where the New Jersey Americans played their inaugural season. Oh, wow. Yep. So I, I played in the same arena, 
played in quotes uh, as the Nets. It sounds like you had a, an equal amount of success at the Nets in that arena as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That was, we also played indoor soccer there. It's a it's a nice place, but uh, I can't imagine having a professional basketball team there. It just it's just not not the right size. Unfortunately, neither can the Nets. <laughs> yeah. Well, they moved around. <laughs> I think, as far as I know, they moved around a lot in those early years. That they played in Long Island too, right? Yeah, yeah, they played out in Long Island. I'm trying to remember what all the locations that they played in, but I, the TNAC Armory wasn't the only location they played games in that first year because concerts were higher grossing. So any night that they had a game schedule that there was a concert slated, they wouldn't move the concert and they had to move out to Long Island or uh, other other arenas. That's professional basketball, baby. Uh, and now, go now ahead. players are getting paid $175 million. <laughs> <laughs> we've come a long way yeah progress that's capitalism uh so why did i not become a nets fan that's the main question that is the question that's the only question that you asked me as far as i remember well i did not grow up in a basketball family my mom she told me yesterday when i asked her i was like did you play basketball as a kid because you know i'm just i'm still getting to know her and she said, uh, no, nah, I didn't like it. Played in gym, didn't like it. She grew up in New Jersey. My father also grew up in New Jersey. And I, t- I asked him, he said he played all the time. But when impressed, he was like, oh, on occasion. I was like, if he played all the time, I think he'd be a little bit better than he was. But between the two of them, not a, not a single organized basketball game. So basketball was really not on my radar as a kid. Um, but... What happened was, and this is a story that seems made up because it's most of it is made up, but what happened was in 1994, when I was eight years old, my Aunt Phyllis, who was working with New Jersey Transit, she used to be, uh, at the time she was cleaning buses, so she, after the bus would come into the uh, station, after the day was through, and she would go through and take all the passengers' belongings that they left there she found two tickets to a basketball game and I assume she went through the proper channels to make sure nobody claimed it. But eventually those tickets made their way to my father who he asked my brother if he wanted to go. And my brother was sick and said, I I can't go. He's 10 years old. Biggest mistake of his life. Uh, So he said that I would go with him and we went to this game and it was June 1st, 1994, game five of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Knicks and the Pacers. The series was tied two games apiece. And these were not great tickets, um, but they were, you could see the game. And this was the game that Reggie Miller scored 25 points in the fourth quarter. I had never been to a, a sporting event at all. No basketball, no football, no soccer. Obviously, no soccer. Come on. And I just remember uh, the whole fourth quarter as he's torching the Knicks. And this is the game where he did the famous choke sign to Spike Lee. Uh, The crowd just was booing, booing him. And I was a quiet kid. This was, we just moved to public school. We'd spend my first three years in, in um, 
in Catholic school, so I didn't say anything and they didn't care. They actually preferred it that way. But when I moved to public school and I didn't say anything, they thought I was like, I needed this. They, they wanted me to go to speech class. And I probably should have, as you'll find out over the next hour long this podcast lasts. But so as a quiet kid, seeing this boisterous NBA player, nothing like me. I don't know. I can, I, I was odd. So I became a Reggie Miller fan that night. But I just, I think back and I'm, and all the circumstances that allowed me to go to this game. And I'm like, this, this fandom is really, uh, it was destiny for better or worse. I still can't believe your first ever NBA basketball game was the Reggie Miller 25 points in the fourth quarter performance. Yeah, it is hard to believe. Um, there is another interesting wrinkle in that my father at the time was working in Newark. For the, he worked for the USPS, for the Postal Service. And apparently his job required him to have a cell phone. And this was a 1994 cell phone. It was one of those big bricks. And somehow he left it under our seat. So we left the arena and he realizes, oh, crap. The USPS is cell phone i left it there and this, these things probably cost like 500 bucks back then and so this is madison square garden people are coming out we had to find a security guard and tell him the story and the guy eventually relented and said well we'll let you up in the service elevator we'll have you get your phone and then then you got to pull out so we go in the service elevator and we're going up to the top where our seats were and the second floor, the elevator door is open and Spike Lee walks onto the elevator. So I don't know Spike Lee, I'm eight years old. I know, I, all I know of him is from that evening, but my dad knows him. I, I didn't see any of those, you know, I, I haven't seen Do the Right Thing, I haven't seen Malcolm X, haven't seen Mo Better Blues. Obviously didn't see He Got Gay and it didn't come out yet. I'm also eight years old, but to have him come on the elevator and that night, the night that he was, that Reggie Miller flashed the choke sign at him. I mean, I don't know. That's something about that. It just, it just seemed like destiny to me. And unfortunately I've been following the Pacers ever since 25 years. How have you never told me the Spike Lee part of that story? Well, it doesn't really come up that often, I guess. I don't really, often tell people about the time I, how I became a Pacers fan. You didn't, I really never told you that though. No, no. I, I knew that you went to that game. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't know how you found those tickets. I didn't know the, the circumstances behind it, but I, I, I'd never heard of the Spike Lee. Oh, wow. Damn. Well, it's the first time for your listeners and for you then. Well, any, any moment where the Knicks were embarrassed is, always welcome on this podcast. So thank you for sharing that with, <laughs> with all Mets fans out there. <laughs> As a Pacers fan, we have many of them. But they got us I a think, couple of times too. Yeah, they did. I think we just completed that meme where you have um, from Predator 
or you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger's bicep and they're connecting and it says Pacers fans, Nets fans. And then where the hands are, it says Knicks hate. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually how my brother and I always greet ourselves with that. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Dylan. Uh, great movie. Great movie. I actually like the newer one too with uh, Adrian Brody. I'm not afraid to admit it. You might have to edit that out though. Is, is that the one where they send the prisoners to the Predator's home planet? And they yes. They're like all these mercenaries, like the best mercenaries from across the United States, uh, across the world. And they send them down and one by one they get picked off, you know, as a Predator movie goes. You're talking to a man that watched not one, but two Dwayne The Rock Johnson movies this past weekend. So that movie is one of the best ones I've ever seen. <laughs> which ones? Which which rock movies are we talking about? Uh, they were two of the worst. And knowing that, that doesn't really I would love for you to take a guess. <laughs> but they're two of the worst and they're recent. See if you can guess them. I bet you can. Mm. That skyscraper movie? Absolutely. One out of two. <laughs> there we go. What's up next? Oof. Now... I know he was in the Jumanji movie. I haven't seen it. I heard it was decent, though. So I'm not going to guess that's not one of them. Let's see. Hmm. He makes so many of them. I can't even think of one, though. You're going to kick yourself when I say this. Well, what was it? Rampage. Uh, of course. <laughs> so obviously terrible. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you said, when your movie is based around a video game that had no plot, I don't know. He, he, I read an article about The Rock, and he just, it seems like he's, he doesn't, he's not very picky of his movies, suffice it to say. No, he's like a, a more successful, more normal Nicolas Cage. Or like a, like a Samuel Jackson, you know. But he, he's great. I love him. I think he's. I think he's very charismatic, and, I, and I, I would watch his movies, even the bad ones, if if I had to. I do watch his movies, even the bad ones, and I don't have yeah, to. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> there's there's no reason for me to do that. So I, I I I when you said you'd been a Patriots fan for 25 years, that really hit home with me because I I have not been a Nets fan for that long. Growing up in in Connecticut, I had. Uh, for all intents and purposes, the, the right to choose. And I ended up choosing the Nets in the late 90s, 98, 99, around 2000, right before the trade for Jason Kidd and things really took off. So I got lucky and been supporting the team and really got to see what it was like to go from supporting a, a terrible team to a great one and, and what greatness looked like. But I don't have 25 years of, of Nets fandom under my belt. It sounds like there might be some regrets there, but <laughs> is there anything you'd like to share about the <laughs> quarter years. century? Well, I would say that was 25 years come with a caveat that uh, as an out-of-market fan, you don't get to watch the games. Like I'm sure for you, when you started watching the Nets, you were able to watch you know, however many games they televised. Um, but as an out-of-market fan, I could only watch the playoffs most years and whatever – you know, ABC games were on NBC games. So I would have to say for the first, um, probably till 2007 when I got league pass for the first time, um, I was only watching playoffs and the occasional game here and there. 
So I guess you were lucky that the Pacers were consistently in the playoffs over that time. Yes. Um, very lucky. I feel very fortunate that I ended up a Pacers fan, even though we haven't won a, <laughs> a championship. I mean, it could have been worse. If the Knicks won that game, look where, I'd, where would I be right now? I don't know. Probably Maine instead of Vermont. Yeah, and that would be terrible. But, uh, yeah, so, like, I just remember I, I used to go to NBA.com in the very early days, in the, in the, in the late 90s, check the standings. I'd be like my ritual coming home from school. Go right, check the standings, and um, then the NBA, NBA, NBC theme is always you know stuck in my head because I I love that was the only time I got to watch the games was when they made the playoffs. So I I would always make sure I was there in front of the TV. Sometimes I'd have to watch it upstairs while the rest of the family did something downstairs, but. Uh, yeah, just following them it was very difficult. And nowadays you have, you know, the internet obviously. Much much bigger presence. You can have you can find a fan community there. You got streaming availability. It's it's a lot easier to be an out of market fan. But uh, I have no regrets. Not even one. I've I've got some regrets. <laughs> you broke so easily. Yeah, well, we had some we had some down years. We had some lean years, but you know, when I when I first got League Pass, I was it was in two thousand. It was right after the two thousand six season, and I think that was actually that was the year the Nets. I think the Nets eliminated us that year in the playoffs. And uh, the next four years that I like the that I was able to watch 82 games were the Jim O'Brien years. And those were the worst we've had in a while, but we, uh, the worst for a Pacers fan is 32 wins. So in my 25 years of fan of watching them or tracking them, they've, they've only dipped to 32 wins once. They've never dipped below that. So, I mean, that's pretty good, right? You can't complain about that. Six times went to the. It's a little bit better than seventeen. Yeah, wins. <laughs> six times to the Eastern Conference Finals over that span. Three different teams, um, some great players along the way. A brawl, you know, all the good stuff. Yeah, bringing back those good memories. You're right. We eliminated the Indiana Pacers in the first round of the 2006 NBA playoffs, four to two. Yeah, I don't recall much about that series. Um, I know game six, I think game six was the Anthony Johnson uh, where he scored 40 points out of nowhere. Our, our, our backup point guard, he was like, I, he was old at that point. It's tough. Looking at these stats, the leaders in all of the games for points and total rebounds are nets except for one game. Game three, Jermaine O'Neal put up 37 and 15. And then you nailed it. Game six, Anthony Johnson, 40 points. 40 points. This guy, I can't remember him ever scoring 20 points. And he scored 40 points. It was his last game in Pacers uniform. Kind of ridiculous. That is why. <laughs> That's why. Did somebody get injured or was he your starter? I forget. Yeah, so we. this was the year Reggie Miller retired. The, the brawl was the, the last season, the prior season. Um Ron Artest was on the team for the beginning, 
then he wanted to make his rap album and we kind of we we lost him probably for the best and then we traded him he was a true warrior yeah he was a true warrior one one of the one of the greater one of the greatest and i would say musicians to ever play for the pacers they might be like cj miles but uh so we traded him for Peja Stojakovic. And I was a big fan of Peja Stojakovic, but he was a terrible pacer. And I think he only played a handful, maybe two or three games that series, and he did not look good. I do not remember Peja Stojakovic ever being on the yeah, Pacers. Well, I wish I had that memory as well. He he was bad. Oh, but we you know, we got we had to get rid of run our tests, so we got him. He didn't didn't work out. That's sometimes that's, that's how it goes. That's NBA champion Pedro Stojakovic. Oh, who was it with the Mavs? Yeah, yeah, he he contributed in the playoffs right up until the finals, and then he could not be on the floor against the Heat, unfortunately. But he had some pretty good games. And that's five years later, two thousand eleven, right? So I mean, he looked he didn't look good with Indiana. So considering five years later, you know, major props to him. I think Peja might be the owner of the best pass in NBA history. I don't know if you've ever seen the Is that one, the one through the legs? Loose ball. No, it's it's not through the – that's a great one too. But this is the one where it's a loose ball and Bobby Jackson is streaking down the court and he sees him, but the ball is spinning and when it bounces, it takes a weird turn and goes behind him. So he grabs it behind him and wings a behind-the-back pass three-quarters of the court lands in Bobby Jackson's hands and he lays it in. Insane. I try that pass all the time when I play. Uh, you do. I remember getting hit in the face by that pass a few times. Yeah, I wish you were on my team when I was doing that. <laughs> At least I could say it was bad hands. Do you remember that time when we were playing pickup and that guy threw the ball at you and I didn't back you up? <laughs> well, it was funny to me, though. Like, I didn't. I wasn't mad. It, it was kind of shocking. He hit me right in the face of the ball. I don't know why. I guess I get out of people's skin sometimes when I play, most of the time when I play. But he hit me right in the face, and I, I didn't. it didn't hurt. It was just kind of like, what? And how did that situation end? It just, we just continued playing like nothing happened? We all had the same reaction that you had, disbelief. And it was almost as if we, we, we just didn't – we pretended that it didn't happen because it was so tough to believe that it actually happened because you do get under people's skin. You're irritant when you play. That's why I like playing on your team. But I, I didn't think you were doing anything in particular out of the order in that game. You were just playing good defense on the guy. I, well, I appreciate that. I, uh, yeah, I, I, we've, I had, I've had some moments playing basketball where people get upset. I, I feel like – I've always tried to figure out what my NBA comparable is. And obviously I'm nowhere near, I'm not even, I couldn't even play on a, on a good high school team at my peak, but I would say I'm like a, a Pat Beverly. Does that make sense? Do you see that? I, yeah, I think, I think that's a really good comparison. I think you've got better court vision than, than Pat Beverly, but in terms of the defense and the three points, those are being your two most valuable assets for sure. I sometimes imagine myself as a Ricky Rubio, but then I'm like, that's the shooting now. I wish I had, you know, wish, wish Ricky Rubio could shoot a little bit better and I'd feel better about that comparison. 
Yeah, Ricky Rubio just doesn't live up to the Alex Canizzo standard. I like I like the three and D. That's me, man. You know, I think now that we're talking about you on the court, it makes a lot of sense that your personality vibed with this Pacers team over the years because they have a long history of contracting agents <laughs> and the fan base falling in love well, with them. Yes, that's true. I would also say that they've always been a scrappy team. Like they've always played you look at them, you look at the roster, you say, This team is a forty win team and they always they pull out fifty wins. You look at them, you say, This is a thirty five win team, they win forty five. They always do better than uh predicted. And I think part of that has to do with just that attitude of just going in there and taking care of business, play hard every night. You know, every team wants to believe that their players do this. But I think um I think with the front office that we had, we've always we've always looked for those kind of you know the lunch pail type players. That sounded a lot like a post game interview for about fifty percent of that. Last yeah, both statement. teams played hard. <laughs> well, I might... <laughs> you want to go out there play hard every night. <laughs> I mean, we appreciate what they can do, but we just think we're better. That's uh, that's what it is. Um, yeah, I, well, I mean, we've had. Ron Artest, obviously, and Stephen Jackson, Jamal Tinsley, the, the the jail Pacers era. I guess you could put Jermaine O'Neal in there too. Um, yeah, you could. But I feel like his transgressions were limited to on court. Tyreek Evans. <laughs> yeah, Tyreek Evans was a disappointment. Um, I I, like I did too. I was very excited, but I was also very excited about the Gerald Green signing a couple of years back when he played like 30 games for you guys and like killed it. And then he came to us and killed us. There was some stat that I saw recently that value to relative production and number of minutes played for the NBA. Gerald Green has made the least amount of money that he could have possibly Yeah, I saw that. In his I saw that. Other players. Uh, that. That was uh, hard to believe. From Pacers fan perspective, we thought he was we thought he was stealing from us, <laughs> but uh, I I still like him. You know, we, you and I, when we went to college together up in Boston, we that was our guy, Joe Green in the Celtics. I mean, was, I don't I, I don't want to speak for you, but he was definitely my guy. Uh, he was so young when they drafted him. He was so athletic. He was hitting threes that first season. I I thought he was going to be a star. Now this is before I knew really anything about how the draft work or scouting work. You saw him out there and if he ever got loose on a fast break, he was throwing down a dunk and it made sense. He became the eventual slam dunk contest champion. But then he could shoot as well early on. You're like, God, oh, this guy's Yeah, the be athleticism. Stuck. I mean, when you, when you don't watch basketball on a day-to-day basis, like I, I feel like we, that was just the beginning of when we really started to, to watch every game. Uh, just the athleticism jumps off at you and you're like, wow, this guy, this guy must be good. Uh, you're also talking to the guy that thought James Young was yeah. <laughs> a storied history of, of predicting outcomes for Celtics draft well, picks. You know, I, I could go through the list of of my players who I thought were going to be great that that just didn't didn't reach there. Jonathan Bender for the Pacers was I thought he was going to be good because he was athletic as hell too, but injuries took him out. And who knows if he would have had, you know a great career even without them because he, you know, he came right out of high school. So it's hard to say, 
we traded a good player for him. So, you know, a player near and dear to both of our hearts that should have had a long and productive NBA career, Sean Williams from Boston College. Sean Williams, yes, I think he uh, he yeah. would do better in the league nowadays. I think because uh, a little bit looser on the marijuana policy. <laughs> Looser on the marijuana policy, but a lot more structure and acceptance for young players too versus, oh, you're caught smoking weed once, cool, you're out of the league, yeah. you play in Europe. Well, he- uh, okay. <laughs> well, actually, I actually wanted to ask you a question at the beginning of this um, podcast to, to settle. The- this, is, this is the beginning relative to the length of our normal Russell and Pro podcast, so you're, All right, great. Uh, you're right on schedule. It, it, it was a question that was asked of me many years ago, and I want to put it back to you now. Marshawn Brooks and Brooke Lopez or Paul George and Roy Hibbert? Who do you, who you got? <laughs> Man, that's, you know, here, so I have a question for you before I answer this. Do you think if Marshawn Brooks was drafted today into the league as is right now, and had the chance to develop, like a Karis LeBert or Victor Oladipo, had some structure. He would have turned into a legitimate NBA player with the right team. I think with the right team, um, I always wonder how much it is. You know, the team that you get drafted on. Like is is like would Paul George be Paul George if he went to the Kings? I mean, no offense to the Kings, but during that time, not, you know. No, no, it's okay. Off- offense to the Kings. They have the longest playoff drought in the league right now. Hopefully that will change next season. I don't see it changing, but I hope it, hope it does. I'd like it to, too. I think De'Aaron Fox is going to have to become a, a bona fide all-star for that. I mean, the West change. just gets keep, keeps getting tougher every year. I mean, you have a team with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis that's probably going to be the 10th. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think, unfortunately, looking back on it, given that Paul George is a top 10 player in the NBA after snapping his leg in half, playing all of those minutes for the Pacers on those hard-nosed defensive teams and multiple shoulder surgeries and still playing at a high level and being the second choice of Kawhi Leonard in the offseason right behind a one-legged Kevin Durant, you have to take the superstar, even though Roy Hibbert would not survive in the league as is today. You take Paul George and Roy Hibbert, and really you're taking Paul George, and you take Paul George over both Brooke Lopez and Marshawn. Yeah, but uh, Roy Hibbert, like, not so bad, right? He had a pretty good career. I I mean, not so bad for the time. I, I don't think he'd stay on an NBA oh, court no. nowadays. I. I I'd rather have Taco Fall. I, you know, I actually was Hibbert. thinking that. I'm thinking that would be the comparison, like the guy like Taco Fall trying to stay in the league. You, w- At least Taco Fall has some lateral <laughs> movement. Though. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Roy couldn't even do a goddamn push-up. It's not push about <laughs> lateral movement. It's about verticality, okay? It's not a – you don't have to move side to side. You just move up and down. Roy, Roy, he didn't even move up and down. Roy Hibbert's verticality was standing But his still. hands moved up. His hands up. Yeah, once you learn how to do one push-up, he can lift his hands. Oh, you read that story where he couldn't do any push-ups at Georgetown? Oh, man. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's that was one of the first things I read about him after he got drafted. I was like, oh, this might be a problem. But then again, Kevin Kevin Durant couldn't Stop. do any uh, bench press at the combine when he was drafted. So, and look at him now. They're basically, <laughs> look at him now. He's, he's still basically the same stuff. player. Oh. I'm I'm glad that you proactively brought up Kevin Durant on this podcast. I was avoiding it briefly. I, I keep forgetting that he's a net now. Uh, I, I I I'm a Nets fan, and I keep forgetting to use it. It still doesn't make. But sense you guys are excited about this. We are. We we are really excited about it. And I, I've I've explained this a few t- a few times. It's it's one of those things where everybody seems to want to hop in and caution Nets fans that oh Achilles injuries are still the one that NBA physicians and medical staffs haven't figured out, and the production after players have returned from those injuries is at best 75 to 80 percent of what it was prior to that and the older the player gets it drops off more and more and it's been a Mm -hmm. career ruiner so the nets probably aren't gonna win a championship or the likelihood of that is a lot lower than a lot of nets fans thinks now i i personally don't care about any of that what i care about is this being the announcement that the nets have now become a desirable big market franchise. Right. One before we were the New York kid brother. And the, the questions that I keep asking myself are, A, would this have happened if we had moved to Brooklyn? I think no. And B, would this have happened if Mikhail Prokhorov hadn't gone through the whole coming of age story of hiring Billy King, putting pressure on him and letting him run wild? realizing that wasn't the right way to do things and then being open to Sean Marks coming in and saying, okay, this is how I would build a franchise. You can't skip steps. And I think we can build a contender this way. And I really don't think without either of those things happening, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving come to the nets. I don't think as much as Kyrie grown up. felt can, right. I don't think that he's going to go play. At the no, Amazon I was going to say, he certainly wouldn't be playing at continental airlines. Uh, Oh God! Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think uh, without moving to Brooklyn, um, well, it's hard to say. But I, uh, as a Pacers fan, you d- you don't like I, I, I'm This is never. This will never happen to us. I guess you were th- you were saying that a couple of years ago. That it would never happen to you guys. But I feel pretty safe in saying we're never going to get two of the top. What would you say? Ten players in the NBA in the same off season to sign with us. So from my perspective, it's. It's. I've I've already resigned myself to knowing that's not going to happen. So it's not actually something that I um, would look forward to. Does that make any sense? It, it does, and that and that's that's how Nets fans were before this. That's why this is so shocking, and that's why we share the same sentiment that you did, which is we still don't believe these players are on the Nets because at some point you resign yourself to the fact that it doesn't matter what franchises like the Lakers and the Knicks and these big market franchises do because players are always going to want to play there. Miami, Mm -hmm. you name it. And players are not going to want to play for these historically poorly run franchises that have had to trade for disgruntled stars or get lucky with draft picks to have talent. And maybe I should have read between the tea leaves and realized that players were viewing Brooklyn as a really cool, desirable place to live. But until it actually happens, it's really tough to think that way, especially when our biggest free agent signing 
in the past was Alonzo Mourning, who played zero games for us. <laughs> well, well, do you think the uh, that 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 uh, the Celtics trade was important in dis- establishing Brooklyn as as a just as a franchise in, in New York City? Like, do you like to look back on that know. and say, I, well, you know, it we lost a lot of assets, but at least it, there was some value in it long term. Well, you know what's insane? A lot of fans love the hot take that the Nets actually won yeah, I've been the Celtics saying that. trade based on how things turned out. That is absolutely absurd. There is no way we won the Celtics trade. Not only did we lose that trade, it scared franchises across the league from trading any first-round picks. And just this season, this has finally been the time where teams seem to have loosened up a little bit and been willing to trade first-round picks since that Nets trade happened. I... <laughs> uh, it, I don't think that that trade established us. I I think that it was meaningful, and I don't think that the Nets get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant without that trade, but not because of the fan base we gained from it or the notoriety that we gained from it, because those players were saying a lot of bad things Mm -hmm. about the Nets. Uh, Paul Pierce had nothing but bad things to say when he left. Darren Williams left on terrible terms. Joe Johnson, I think, was the only one that ever said a good thing about the Nets, and he said, it's not that bad here. (laughs) Kevin Garnett had some things to say about Darren Williams' leadership. I think it was more that made our ownership more patient and more open to thinking about a different way to build the franchise versus continuing to be in win-now mode. If that had been even slightly successful, we may never pivot to, okay, yeah, yeah, let's bottom out for a little bit. Right, I think that's that's a good way to look at it. I, I feel like I'm a, a sunshiner, and that's a derogatory term that's thrown my way sometimes on, on the forums where I post. But, like, you, you always want to – I don't want to say I spin bad moves to, to make them seem good, but, like, you always want to find the positive in a a rough situation. Like, when we traded away Ron Artest, when that whole team had to be taken down and we rebuilt again – to what I thought was going to be a better team with the Paul George um, in the Paul George era. But like, I think it's important as a fan that you, you realize this is all, I mean, it's a business for them, but for you, it's, it's just fun and games, you know? So you, you can't be too negative about the bad years. It, you, you can't. I, one of the things that I've, I've liked about getting older and and being a sports fan is my emotional well-being is no longer tied to regular season Brooklyn Nets wins and losses, or I should say New Jersey Nets, because that's what they were when I, (laughs) when I was that into basketball back in the day. And it's nice to be able to look at things from a broader league wide perspective and pick up on trends that you've seen throughout your lifetime and be able to view it through that lens and not live and die with every single possession unless you're in the playoffs and you truly believe as a fan that you have a legitimate shot at making a run or winning a championship. And that's really when those possessions and every second matters because those windows with player movement nowadays are one to three years at best. It's going to be tough. It's tough for me to see another Warriors-esque situation happening where a superstar joins three other all-stars and decides to make the finals for 
five years in a row, even this off season, the best teams ended up with two quote unquote superstars and they could have been multiple three-star teams. And it was very clear that a lot of these guys didn't want to do that. They wanted to be viewed as the guy that drug them to a championship. Yeah. And I, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't want three-star teams anymore, Same. but I will say I, and maybe this is just from following the Indiana team for so long, but I, I do value loyalty and longevity with a franchise. You know, Reggie Miller, obviously the main example, but other guys like Jeff Foster stayed there the whole, his whole career. I mean, we've had Danny Granger stayed there as long as they could. And then obviously his departure was the opposite of what I was, yeah, what I wanted, but I kind of like that. And I don't know if that's going to be part of the game anymore. I feel like the free agency, there's a lot of movement and, I don't know. I get attached to players. You know this about me. I, I get attached to players, and I like to follow them. And I can't follow them when they're in, on another team. I just, I guess, I just can't do it. I like Paul George. I, I love the way he plays. But as soon as he stepped foot in Oklahoma City, I, I was done. And I'm not gonna follow him. I'm, I'll root for him if it's, if, if you know, if, if, the, if the cards are right. But I don't know. I prefer that long that longevity of a franchise, the loyalty, and I don't I don't know if we're going to see much of it anymore in this league. Is it different when the franchise is the one that chooses for that player to no longer be on the team? A couple examples I can think of are Brooke Lopez right. on the Nets remains one of my favorite Nets of all time because all he wanted to do was be with the team through thick and thin and be a Nets lifer. And we were the ones that chose to trade him. And I, I was rooting hard for the Bucks last year and loved when he had those great playoff games. And I couldn't have been happier when the Bucks signed Robin Lopez this offseason. And I think it's going to be the same for D'Angelo Russell, who wanted to re-sign with the Nets, gave us one of the best and most enjoyable seasons that I've ever had as a fan. And uh, we traded him to the Warriors. And as much as... Nobody wants to root for the Warriors. I'm going to be watching a lot of those games to see how he gels with Steph Curry. Yeah, I think and, that was that was tough watching D'Angelo because I started watching the Nets this year, um, and that was tough watching him go. Uh, but as to your question, yeah, there is a difference. Um, I think it's I think it's good for the league that the players can choose where to play, and. Uh, I don't. I, I didn't like the way the Pacers handled the departure of Danny Granger when they sent him. I mean, he obviously couldn't really play any longer, but they sent him to the Sixers for Turner and Lavoy Allen, of course, who was great. Oh. Um, wow, I forgot that he went to the Sixers. So what had happened? He'd had that string of injuries. Y'all drafted Paul George. He was showing signs of being an All Star. Was an All Star at that point. And Danny Granger was no longer cheap, or you'd given him a contract already. What were the yeah? Well, he he was still on his on his um his long contract, but the he had he had these knee injuries, and I guess he fell in the draft because they was concerned about his injuries and the, how he might have a degenerative knee issue. And I, I'm not sure how much that really played into his injuries, but needless to say, he was. He was on his way out of the league, but I think the important thing for him 
he was he was key to the, the the chemistry of the team. And even though he couldn't really contribute on the court, he did in the locker room and on from the sidelines. And I guess, I guess Lance Stevenson and Evan Turner didn't really get along. Lance saw that as a uh, as a guy who's going to be taking his spot because Lance Stevenson was uh, going to be a free agent the next that off season. So it was just a you know we were a good team that year, and maybe we weren't great, but it was an unnecessary shakeup. I can understand what you're going for because you, when you, like you said earlier, when you have those windows, you got to pull the trigger on trades that, that might, you know, they might, they might succeed, they might not, but you have to take the chances, and I appreciate that from the front office. But I just remember watching the video of him saying goodbye at the practice facility the next day and being like, I think, I think we might have made a mistake here. But you know, I was a I'm a Granger Superman though. So I was always gonna think whoever we traded, we could have traded him for um, Kevin Durant. I would be like, ah, this is this is bad. This is downgrade. <laughs> downgrade. Uh, it it is it is it is emotional though, and you, you know, as much as you want to say you, you don't get attached to players, you definitely do, especially when they give you those great seasons and you watch them grow. And that's that is one of the things that I liked about this offseason for the Nets because. Trading D'Angelo Russell or, or choosing for him no longer to be on the team was tough, but we at least still have some homegrown guys with Spencer Dinwiddie, who we believed in when nobody else did, despite the injuries and the slow start to his NBA career. Joe Harris, same thing, slow start. Got kicked around from team to team. Got injured when he finally had a chance to play, so that's picked him up off the scrap heat. And then draft picks, Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, who we picked up for two players that are near to dear in both our hearts and Boyan Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young. Uh, so would you rather have the uh, the 1.5 wins that Thaddeus Young gave you or would you rather have Karis LeVert? <laughs> I guess right, like, hold, up, hold up one minute here. <laughs> Thaddeus Young's name, okay? It's interesting you bring up those two players. I uh, I went through a list because I was going to try and make this as, as, uh, as Nets-centric a podcast as I can with my limited knowledge. But I was going through a list of all the players who had played for both the Nets and the Pacers, and just in the modern era, which I will consider any any games that I was able to watch since the 1990s. Um, and Thaddeus Young and Boyan were the only two who played more than a single season for both teams. Wow! So we don't have a lot of we. we I mean, we have a lot of names. Uh, guys who like Gerald Green, I mentioned earlier. Uh, Trevor Booker played for you guys, and then. He had a couple. I think he had a big half season for us. Uh, Financial mogul Trevor Berger. Yes, of course. Jarrett Jack, the jump, the jump passer. Guy would always jump before passing. <laughs> the mid-range assassin. Yes, he was. He was a great shooter. Um, Troy Murphy. I'm sure you guys remember that experiment uh, fondly. Was Jarrett Jack at Georgia Tech when you and I were in college? Ah. Uh, I think he might have been. Yeah, I wasn't really following college basketball as closely as you were, so I'm going to have to defer to your knowledge on that. But uh, We'll just say yeah. maybe, and that's the type of analysis our listeners come to this podcast for. Yep, it's a hard maybe. <laughs> it's, it's a hard maybe. But yes, I guess uh, now, now that Thaddeus Young has, has departed, I would say I, I wish I had Karis Burton on the contract. But 
Thaddeus was very important the last two years, and I'm kind of worried. Uh, him and Boyan, they were very important to our success, and um, I am kind of worried about what this next season holds for us. Even though a lot of people are are enthused about the signings, uh, Jeremy Lamb and Malcolm Brogdon, which gives us youth and length, which we didn't have before. Um, Darren Collison at the one spot, very diminutive, but fast as hell, obviously. And that- I thought that Jeremy Lamb was a, a sneaky good signing because he gives above average defense. He's got length and he can shoot it well enough. And those things aren't uh, aren't easy to find skills for that cheap of a contract. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's a good contract. The question is um, fit. It's always a question of fit. Um, I don't know much about him. I don't didn't watch a lot of Hornets games unless they were playing us. So, um, he's young, he's six foot five or six foot six and he's got length and hopefully our, our staff, Dan Burke can, can coach up these guys on defense, TJ Warren included, um, from the Suns. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I usually am, but cautiously. So I'd like to get your take on this because I've been thinking about this and I really think the Pacers, because we were going to compare what we thought the Pacers outcome in the regular season and the postseason, the Nets outcome in the regular season, the postseason, this 2019, 2020 season was going to be, and then potentially even rank what we thought the Eastern conference outcomes were going to be. And when I was thinking about the Pacers, it seems like they're going to go as far as whatever jumps Victor Lodipo and Miles Turner continue to make this season. And, you know, Miles had a great season last year, he almost made one of the all defensive teams, I believe, or was in the conversation for, no, he, he did, but he was in the conversation for defensive player of the year. Um, Oladipo is now a perennial all-star and how, how well he back, bounces back from that injury. But I think of those two players, if Oladipo comes back, plays well and takes a little bit more of a leap and Miles Turner continues to grow, I think there's, I think there's a potential for a pretty special season. I always think there's a potential for a special season. Even in the uh, Dunleavy, Troy Murphy years, I was like, this could be the one. The golden years. The golden, <laughs> yes, the golden state years. Uh. A lot of people don't remember, but uh, the first Warriors, the first great Warriors meme team, the, uh, what were they called? That you got to believe? No, that was the net. That was the uh, Mets. The We Believe team? The We Believe team? Yeah. Yes, that was created by, that was, that was thanks to us, the Pacers. We created that team. We sent Al Harrington and Steven Jackson out there, and that was that was just what they needed, that little extra push. Oh, Steven Jackson was such a big part of that team, too. Yeah. Well, Al Harrington wasn't bad either. I think he was probably uh, trending down at that point. But, and that was our second time we had Al Harrington. We got him back. But um, did you have a question in there? I, I forgot. I started – oh, the Pacers, right. Um Miles Turner, yeah, he's gonna his growth is gonna be important. Also, how the fit is with Demontis Sabonis playing the four, because that seems to be what we're gonna try. We, we've we've experimented with it a little bit the last two seasons, but without Thaddeus Young, uh, McMillan's gonna have to put Sabonis at the four, and uh, that will be the most interesting, I think, thing to look at. Have Sabonis and Turner if they can play together. Um, I think offensively they can. Defensively, I don't know if Sabonis can stay with with um, 
with fours on the perimeter. Why? So that's why do they stick with that combination though? Because it seems like when I read about it, when I hear about it, everybody has questions on Sabonis and Turner sharing the floor. And most people seem to think that it would be nice if they tried bringing him off the bench or, hey, maybe they both start for posterity's sake, but you really have to stagger the minutes outside of that to get maximum value out of the Pacers lineups. Do you you agree with that? Or are these just hot takes that I'm hearing because I don't follow the Pacers as closely as you do? Well, I think Sabonis has earned more minutes and they're both natural centers. So I think it's just a question of you do, for a team like the Pacers, when you have a, a guy on the roster already who wants to play in Indiana, you try to make it fit. And I think that's the case with Sabonis. He wants to play in Indiana. He wants to play with Miles Turner. Um, and he definitely wants, and I think he's earned more minutes. So we have to try it out. We have to see if it works because we can't lose assets. And I hate to refer to basketball players as assets, but um, we can't let Sabonis walk because we, we either got to trade him or Turner this, this season or uh, somehow make it work. So that's, that's the thing that we're really looking forward to uh, finding out. And uh, obviously Oladipo's health is important. Um, that will be the, our ceiling will be determined by how good Oladipo is when he comes back. I think, I think my fear is that when you say they either have to make it work or trade one of them, I think that they might not quite make it work and then trade neither of them. That is always a, that's always a concern. I mean, <laughs> you can only wait so long before you're like, uh-oh, we got this is the Charlotte Hornets with Kemba Walker. This is not working. We gotta we gotta pull the trigger, and you gotta do it before other teams realize that you don't really have other options. Um, and I think I'm, we might be beyond that point already. Because Sabonis is, is uh, I think this is the last year on his deal. Yeah, he's an expiring. So that that contract has value because if you trade him to a team, he's going to play hard for them and he's going to contribute and he's going to elevate their floor. So it's not like you're trading dead money if you do that. So you should theoretically be able to get some assets back for him. I think he could be a starter in this league full time. Um, if I had to choose between the two of them, I f- I would go with Miles Turner right now. I would trade away Sabonis. Um, just because Miles Turner's range and rim protection really fit what a, a you know prototypical center is these days. Um, whereas Sabonis, though, he's a very good player. And I think if we could trade him, I saw somebody, a lot of people are talking about a Jalen Brown for Sabonis swap. I don't know if that's anything the Celtics, oh, wow. are, the Celtics are interested. But something like that where you trade, because we're – we're going to be missing a, a small forward next season and possibly going forward, um, depending on how TJ Warren plays um, or where TJ Warren plays, if we pop him up to the four. Well, even if he does play, you're still going to be missing a small forward on defense. Damn. You're really going to do my boy TJ like that? He hasn't played a game for you. How is he your boy? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Fantasy basketball, he, he puts up numbers. You got to go for those guys who put up numbers on bad teams. <laughs> Apparently, the Pacers have to trade for those guys too. Yes, well, yeah. Well, I mean, we we didn't trade anything for him. We just traded money, and you know, as a fan, money is nothing to us. <laughs> 
Uh, that's just what the executives want to hear. Hey, money's nothing to the fans. Keep jacking up ticket costs. Seventeen dollar cokes. Well, you you know what I mean. Their money is nothing. No, to but us. no, I know, I know. Uh, the uh, interesting thing about T.J. Warren is he reminds me a lot of of, the, of Danny Granger the way he plays, and uh, maybe that's not interesting. I guess the interesting, the fun fact here is that we have all the TJs right now. We have TJ Warren, TJ Leaf, and uh, TJ McConnell. I don't know if he's actually officially signed, but all indications are that he's going to. So we got all the TJs. So that's got to be worth something, right? You know you follow the NBA too much when I know that that is Zach Lowe's favorite part of the NBA offseason. Not all the oh, superstar he- trades. <laughs> He's commented on that already? Yes. Ah, darn. <laughs> Immediately on Twitter, the Pacers have three guys named TJ. Uh, he beats me to everything. But only if you would think about that. I got to stop getting scooped by uh, Zach Lowe. <laughs> I gotta, this is terrible. Well, did he, did he mention that we used to have three hills? George Hill, Solomon Hill, and Jordan Hill? Oh, wow. Is, I forgot that, that you could have said Jordan Hill. We also had both Hansbro brothers. Oh. Hans Hansbro. Hans Hansbro. <laughs> oh. Well, do you want to do you want to make some Nets and Pacers Eastern Conference predictions on final regular season record where we end up in the playoffs assuming that both teams make the playoffs, which I think as we talked about a lot of the or as we talked about before the podcast a lot of the current projection systems that are more analytically and mathematical based have the the nets on the outside looking in um and then uh maybe rank the eastern conference teams yeah i could do that i just want to remind the listeners though that this is a man whose knowledge of the game is limited to like reddit memes and the daily top 10 on nba like that's all i know is the highlights i I follow the pacers I, I'll see the other teams when they play us. That's that's so my knowledge base is limited, and my the passion for my team it blinds me to all logic and reason. So with those two caveats, where so what are we starting with? We're gonna start with uh, Pacers versus Nets here. Yeah, let's let's start with Pacers versus Nets in the regular season. And, and based on that description, you're on the right podcast. The only fun fact that Carl wanted me to share with our listeners while he is taking care of his newborn son is he couldn't be more excited about our recent David Nawaba signing solely because oh. the only game he's ever seen him play is the triple overtime game against the Nets last season where he scored about 26 points and looked like the second coming of Pat Beverly. So very similar takes. I wanted Nawaba. I wanted him this season. I didn't know he signed. This is this is what this is the react. This is a live reaction for someone who just found out that a free agent chose a different team. That's, Was he even in play for the Pacers? Not that I heard. Uh, we just I just feel like we need somebody to play defense. <laughs> That's what I'm excited about. I actually think his three point shooting is going to be much better with us because he put up those numbers, 36 percent from three, on the Bulls. Yeah, and the Cavs. That's <laughs> how many. I mean, how many open shots do you think he was getting there? Not many. Right. Not many. Uh, yeah, it was. And maybe that's wishful thinking. Well, but how much he's gonna really gonna play though? I think he'll end up playing a lot, especially with the injury history of Karis, Spencer, and 
Kyrie. I think we're going to try to keep Kyrie's minutes at the 29 to 30 minute mark, sit him on back to backs and really take care of him during the regular season, knowing that if he goes down or there's anything serious, who cares how well Kevin Durant comes back from his injury. So this is going to be the year of load management for the uh, Brooklyn Nets. There are going to be a ton of loads to be managed. That's, that sounds like your life. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish I could dispute that. But anyways, <laughs> so, let's talk about should the we, Should we not talk about that for 10 minutes? Do you want to talk? Let's talk about, let's, uh, let's manage some loads. Um, so so do you want me to start or do you want to start? Um, well, maybe we have some kind of, well, maybe we'll have some sort of agreement of uh, teams. I think it'll be easy to start with teams that aren't going to be in the playoffs. I mean, do we really want to rank them all the way down to 15? Is that? No, let's just rank, let's just rank the top eight. Let's rank the playoffs. All right. So teams that I'm not sure about are the, I don't know what the heat are going to look like. That is such an interesting team to me. I, thought, I think the Hawks too, but the Heat, like, how much does Jimmy Butler elevate them? They won 39 games last year. I think that's what it was. They barely missed it. Won 39 games, yeah, barely missed the playoffs. It was also the Dwayne Wade. A farewell tour. Retirement yeah. tour. Yeah, you know I'm not a big Dwayne Wade fan. I am not. you could be as a Pacers fan. How many years yeah. do I have to see that guy? <laughs> how many years i gotta see that guy and lebron james and chris bosh beat us in the playoffs over and over and over again and they always let us get the at least game six and like oh you know what we could do it this could be it we could do it this year nope the, the last game was always a blowout well i mean there's it was that that's what sucked about those game sevens you're like oh maybe the pacers have a shot and they would push the heat to seven and then lose by over 20 games <laughs> yeah but you know it was great for my furniture Nothing got broken because I had the whole game to uh, – it wasn't like the last second or the last two minutes of the game where I had a meltdown. I had the whole game to do the, the all the stages of grief. All the stages of Roy Hibbert. And by the time the game was over <laughs> – uh, talk about grief. Yeah, but by the, time, by the time the game was over, I was like, I'm okay again. I'm a normal human being, well-adjusted. <laughs> well-adjusted, not, not suicidal, not murderous. Uh, God, I'm looking at these. I'm looking at these Eastern Conference teams. There's so many question marks because what if the Raptors decide to blow it up midseason and trade some of their assets and they realize, hey, you know, running it back, making the playoffs, maybe making the second round, they're making a surprise run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Is that really where we want to be? That's super interesting. What the heck did the Magic do after a playoff run last season with that random signing of Al Farouk Aminu and? Does Markel Fultz do anything? Are they going to be relying solely on DJ Augustine for an entire year with uh, Michael, not not Michael Kidd Gilchrist? Uh, who's the who was the guy that the Sixers drafted that had that triple the triple double in his first game against the Heat and then never learned MCW? Yeah, MCW. Michael Carter Williams. <laughs> He's their point guard rotation could be DJ Augustine and MCW if Markel Fultz can't produce. Uh, and that's that's rough. That's. I mean, they they would they got to the playoffs last year with that rotation, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, how much longer can you ring DJ Augustine's bell and be like, oh, call him up? I mean, he 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 was he's a pacer, so I, I I do know his game a little bit. He wasn't one of the best pacers. Uh, he can make shots. 
I don't know if he can play defense at all, though. You know, if Chris Paul doesn't make his way to the Lakers, I think that DJ Augustine is a sneaky candidate to either get bought out or, or get traded to the Lakers towards the end of the season if they don't have enough shooting at that point guard spot. Yeah, it could be a good pickup. Certainly could be. Wide open. Uh, so you, I don't know if the Magic... I want to say the Magic are a team in the ascendancy. Is that, the, is that how you say it? No. I think the Magic are are not going to be... They're going to be as good as last year, but not much better. Fair. Well, let me let me tell you what I've got here. I think the Bucks are the quintessential regular season team. Incredibly consistent. They're running it back with almost all of their players, save for the one that the Pacers stole in free agency and overpaid. But it was nice to see the Bucks uh, uh, not put their money where their mouth is and say, "Hey, we've got a championship contender. Let's keep it together." Yeah, you know what? Let's just not pay one of our key cogs. Probably doesn't sit. <laughs> it doesn't sit too well with Giannis. Let's uh, let's bring back an aging George Hill who looked semi okay in the playoffs. And the Bucks will take the one seed pretty easily. A lot of people have the Philadelphia 76ers slated into that second slot. I think there are a lot of questions around their bench. I think the way that team is going to gel together is going to be really, really weird. I think without JJ Redick shooting, they're going to take a lot more of a dip than people think. And I think that they're one of those teams that's going to perform better in the postseason than they do in the regular season when they can really ratchet up the minutes on their best players and they don't have to worry too much about their bench being terrible. So I actually think that they could be as low as fourth. And I think the Celtics are going to end up with a, a better record than the Sixers. So I have them slated into the two seed. Uh, I have the Sixers as the third seed. Raptors actually is the fourth. Pacers fifth. Nets sixth. And then after that, that's where it gets really tough when you were saying, what the heck are the Heat going to be? I do think that the Heat will make the playoffs. I'm banking on Heat culture, Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler dragging them to the seventh seed. And then I have the Pistons in the eighth seed. So I have the magic dropping out of the playoffs and that's, uh, hmm. that's all she wrote. Yeah. So you don't buy the Hawks too, too soon. I wish, I wish I love the Hawks, man. They're a plucky team. I just don't see the defense. Defense wins games, right? Is, is there anybody on that team that can play defense right now? I mean, what are their starters? Trey young, Kevin Herter, John Collins. DeAndre Hunter. They traded. I like that pick. I like the DeAndre Hunter pick. I did too. He plays defense, so he's he might be the only one of the of the starting five that's gonna play D. <laughs> you, you can't rely on a rookie, though. Uh, I mean, they were pretty they were pretty decent last year in in terms of what I think they exceeded expectations. Down the stretch, I remember we were Carl and I were trying to predict the next the Nets wins in their schedule with about twelve games left, and the Hawks one is one we had circled as that's going to be a lot closer than people think. And lo and behold, it was. But luckily, we found a way to scrap it out. Well, they got Alan Crabb now, don't they? They do. Yeah, they have got they've got more shooting. They've got Alan Crabb in two of our first round picks. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, those picks won't be anything. Well. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, so I like your analysis on the Sixers. I think their bench is very shallow now. Um, but I do have them in my top spot. And you know, wow! And you know, regular season. Yes, regular season top spot. And this is this is considering Embiid is not going to play all eighty-two games. We know that already. 
I just, I don't know. I don't see the Bucks being as good as they were last year. I feel like the 70s, I think this is a make or break year for Brett Brown. I think he's got to be, I think he's got to improve on last season. And I don't know if the roster is better. I, I agree with you if JJ Redick was a huge part of their offense, like maybe bigger than he should have been. Um, and Jimmy Butler is going to be a loss. But I think Simmons, I mean, they took the Raptors to seven, right? Yeah. It's got to be something fat. And you're right. You're probably right. They're not a regular season team. They're going to be doing a lot of load management. That's that's the home of load management. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it's because I don't like the Sixers. I don't want them to win. That I'm going to put them at the top spot. And then I have the Bucks right behind them for the same reasons you mentioned. I think they're, they got the same. Middleton, Giannis, core is good. Uh, now they have two Lopez brothers which is scary. Uh, George Hill, though, as a Pacer fan, I'm hoping Brogdon was very important to that team. Uh, so I am gonna, I'm going to take them down a couple more games. I don't think they're going to hit 60 again. But it's a weak East, so maybe they do. Uh, third seed, I had the Celtics. Maybe we shouldn't buy high on the Celtics again after last season. Got to believe in Kemba. But I think Kemba Walker... Yeah, I, I believe in Kemba. I think he's gonna he's got an opportunity now to actually make some noise in the playoffs. Um, Al Horford's gonna be a loss. Who did they get? Didn't they get somebody else? Enos Cantor. Oh yes, I understand. <laughs> uh, well, uh, maybe I shouldn't have him that high. The T.J. Warren of centers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's that's a great analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean, all offense, no defense? Absolutely. Well, Ennis Cantor at least will play most of the games. That's the thing I'm worried about with TJ's injuries. TJ Warren also isn't allowed to travel internationally, but that's for other reasons. He's got he's got Turkey after him too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, so I got uh, Raptors at. I got the Raptors next at four, and then I'm gonna put the Nets in front of the Pacers. Wow! And it pains me to do it, but I do predict a bit of a slow start for the Pacers. Um, I haven't looked at the schedule, so I don't know what kind of uh, what the road away splits are. You know, that that comes later in the year. I start worrying about every game. When, when in the season do you start looking at standings? I usually start looking close to the All-Star break, sometime between January 1st and mid-February, and then really, really closely after the All-Star break. Because then you can start looking out saying, hey, here are our last 20 games. Uh, what do you project our record to be over those 20 games? Where is that going to slate us? First 10 games. Wow. You know, that's the difference between someone who tries to analyze the team and someone who just wants their team to win. Uh, after 10 games, if, if the Pacers are the top spot, I'm like, oh, this is our year. 10 games in. That's my sample size. We're 7-3, <laughs> baby. Uh, so after the Nets Pacers at 6, we have... Hmm, 
as a Mets fan, the Mets usually start the season 15 and 0 and then miss the playoffs. So we, I've uh, I've been conditioned not to care about the beginning of the season. <laughs> well, as a Pacers fan, it's usually we have a usually have a pretty good start. Like we have like a six and two or seven and three. I'm like, I'm getting excited. And then January is when I start, you know, reality hits. I mean, oh, this is, here we go. Another 44 win season. All right. So at seven, I have, now I just, this is off the top of my head. I didn't do any analysis on this. I have, I have the heat at seven and then I'm going to have the magic at eight. I'm going to have the pistons dropping out. No Pistons. Wow. Poor Blake. Did you think that the team was going to be better last year? I did. With, um, what's the coach's name? From uh, Toronto? Dwayne Casey. Dwayne, Dwayne Casey. Casey. Was, yeah. yeah, I thought they would be better than they were. And for that reason, I was disappointed in them. And I'm a Pacers fan, so if I, you know, you know that means something. <laughs> if you had any rooting interest in the Pistons, that's a big deal. Exactly. I, and the Magic, like you said, they didn't make this offseason wasn't great for them, but I'm I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna put my faith in them. I do like Steve Clifford, their coach, and like you said, I think he he creates that atmosphere that you described the Pacers historically as where they pick up those, those lunch pail type guys. His teams always play hard, particularly on defense and the magic were a monster, a monstrous team on defense after the all-star break. And that's why they ended up making the playoffs. And it's tough to imagine them getting worse, especially when adding Al Farouk Aminu, who not only plays defense, but, actually contributes on offense too. And a lot of their young guys are a year older. So I could, I could definitely say them, see them keeping up there, but I think the guard play is just such a question mark and DJ Augustine. I mean, how long is he going to keep up that magic? He was great for them. And he hit those clutch shots that got them that first win in the playoffs. And I just, I don't know. Are they going to get anything from Mark Falls? They're just such an intriguing team to me, but our biggest disagreements, it looks like were, the Sixers, I had them in the three seed. You had them in the one seed. Uh, the Pistons mm-hmm. sounded like you had them in the nineteenth seed, and uh, <laughs> I had them. I had them eighth. Uh, but you had the Heat in there too, huh? Yes. Well, there's I, as far as the Pistons are concerned, there's no denying that I, th- I feel like they are a very talented team. They have a very good base of talent. Um, Probably more than the Magic. I just don't know. I just don't like them. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's don't fair. Think they could, I don't think they they disappointed me the last two seasons. And maybe that's something to do with you know, our guy Reggie Jackson playing horribly. Yeah, he's been down. Well, they, they don't have enough shooting. Their pieces fit weirdly together. They have guys that put up a lot of stats. But when you dig into the a lot of traditional stats, but when you dig into the advanced stats, they've never been that great and i'm talking about andre drummond and blake griffin in particular and they have a coach who when he left his team won an nba championship now that had a lot to do with Kawhi leonard Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of there's a lot of good traditional stats but when you look below the surface not so great type of coaches and players associated with the team that make me want to agree with you yeah um i just don't feel strongly about them but they could surprise me. Um, All right. 
Well, we flip-flopped the Nets and the Pacers too. So when you're looking at win totals, what do you see for the Pacers? Well, I'll tell you why. The, the thing that concerns me most about the Pacers is continuity. I think we've always basically we've, – we've not had a lot of um, turnover historically in our great teams. And I'm not saying that last year's team was great, but they did win 48 wins two years straight. And then a lot of that core – uh, as we talked about, Thad Young, Boyan, Darren Collins, and Corey Joseph even. Um, they left. They're all gone. We have a whole new uh, – Old Depot is going to be out until at least January. That We have a whole new front court – or back court, rather. We have a whole new back court, and uh, I think we're bottom five now in terms of continuity. Wow. Uh, returning. And I think that's going to be – I think McMillan's a great coach, or I would say he's a good coach. He's a solid coach. I don't know if he's the best in terms of um, putting a team together. I think he can take a a squad of of veterans and make sure they play the right way. But I don't know if he can build a team, and that's what's going to be necessary for this team. This is going to be a new identity. Um, And we'll find out. But that's why I have them a little bit losing a couple more games than than previous seasons. I think they'll have a slow start. So I would say about I always get these wrong. Every year I predict this and I get this wrong. I'm gonna say about forty forty four wins. And I'd have the Nets at about forty six, forty five. Wow, that's so funny. I was gonna put the the Nets at forty four wins and I feel I feel similar that the Nets are going to have a slower start to the season and then really figure it out as the season goes along as some of our younger and newer players start to integrate and understand the system, particularly when some of our best players are going to be limited minutes-wise and hopefully between that 25 and 30-minute mark because it's really not necessarily about this season unless Kevin Durant comes back. And if he does come back, it's more about being healthy for the playoffs so we can get by with him playing 18 to 20 minutes a game. And mm-hmm. one thing that might uh, that might help you feel a little bit worse about the Nets, this is a tweet from HP Basketball or hard, Hardwood Paroxysm. This is a list of players to play over 500 minutes for the Nets last season with a positive on-court net rating. And then see if you can tell me the similarities between this list of players. Ed Davis, Trevion Graham, Damari Carroll, Shabazz Napier, Jared Dudley, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Alan Crabb, and D'Angelo Russell. That's the list are, of players. Are, are any of those guys still there? Not one. Oh, boy. That is, of our entire team, anybody that played over 500 minutes, which, which players had a positive net rating. So you, it looks like you guys have a continuity issue as well. Yeah. Now, we do have a bit of a young core with Kara Spencer, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen. But mm-hmm. everybody else is incoming. And who the heck knows what the corpse of Wilson Chandler is going to give us? Is Torian Prince the type of guy that can contribute to a winning team? He never has. Who knows? Maybe he'll get some more open shots than Nets and he'll produce. I, I personally think that one of the biggest things for the Nets this season is going to be Rudion's Kurik's development. I, I really do, and you can call me crazy because maybe I'm a big homer, but I could see him turning into a secondary playmaker, almost a, a poor man's Boyan Bogdanovich that can create 
off the dribble if the guards get stymied. And if we have another outlet on offense, that's so huge for us because he brings so much value. Otherwise, cutting, finding those open lanes and uh, being in the passing lanes on defense as well. So I really think that's a big one. Yeah, I liked what I saw out of him last year. Um, And I obviously kept an eye on him for fantasy basketball purposes too. Uh, What do you think about that other kid, uh, Musa? Is he gonna? Is he have any expectations for the season, or is he too young still? My favorite thing about Zanon, and it's actually you're supposed to say it like a J, so Zanon Musa, even though it starts with DZ. And there's a reason I only said the last name. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I get. It. <laughs> so it's Zanon with a J, but he. This is another. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know, bring some of Carl's points onto the podcast with him not being here. But we're watching summer league, and he's like, "What is up with John and Musa's back?" And if you watch him, he's got like a hunchback of Notre Dame thing going on, or he almost looks like a Ninja Turtle with his back humped and his head sticking out. So I started doing like wild amounts of Googling John and Musa back surgery, John and Musa scoliosis, John and Musa spine. (laughs) (laughs) And I found a couple forums that were talking about him checking in twice as a teenager to this high-end spinal treatment clinic. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in Latvia, and they were talking about how well, Latvia's got the best spinal uh, doctors, anyway. Yeah, as 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 we know, them in Thailand, of course, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as everybody does. But the so they were talking about, oh, you know, it's it's not a huge deal. It's it's not something he needs to get surgery for, and it'll be corrected over time. And Carl goes, well, that was three years ago, and let me tell you, it hasn't been corrected. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I don't think anybody really knows what to make of this guy because he looked. God awful in the first few games of summer league. So bad that a lot of folks were writing him off saying, man, he might not even turn into a bench contributor for the Nets. And then had a couple of games where he had a game winning block or game saving block was making hustle plays, was hard nosed on defense and looked pretty good. I, I really think that he's still a year or two away from really contributing to this team. But at the same time, the Nets might get a free pass this season. And if they take the season and focus a little bit on development and sacrifice a few wins as long as they still make the playoffs to get guys like John and Musa real NBA minutes and get their confidence up, that could be a huge difference maker next season when all of our players, one player in particular, are theoretically healthy enough to make a run. Right. So is that how you view the season coming up? Like, this is not going to be the year but it, we, we need to lay the found foundation for next year. Yeah, that is how I view the season. And I, I could be wrong. Maybe Kevin Durant does come back in March, which is a, a projected timetable for him should all things go well. And maybe he can contribute right away because he is such a great shooter. And he is not one of those guys that relies on getting to the rim, dunking, consistently getting to the free throw line that we can make a run. But I think the percentage chance of that happening is under 10. Uh, and really, it's going to be about making sure that we don't do anything catastrophic. We learn a lot about the team so we can plug holes correctly in the offseason and hopefully continue to develop our players on really, really cheap contracts. So if we need them to backfill going into next season while we make some changes, they're there and they're ready to do that. Yeah, it's going to be – this is like the ideal year as a fan. For like that, If I were a Nets fan, this would be an ideal year because you don't have no – you you know your team is going to be good eventually. It could be good this year. It's going to definitely be good the next year. So there's no – you're not worried about seeding. You're not worried about where you fall in playoffs. You're just worried about developing the young guys. Um, 
and just getting reps in. And I actually think the reason I put the Nets ahead of the Pacers is because I think Kyrie Irving has something to prove, especially after the the way he left the Celtics. And I think he's I think he's more interested in winning now, even though uh, the guy he you know Durant is not going to come until next year, most likely. I think he's I think Kyrie has something to prove, and he wants to make his first year in Brooklyn, you know, a good one. I I think so too, and I think I do think that there's that dynamic there, proving that he can be the guy on a winning team and not just a 500 team. And I think that the fact that the Celtics may have a better regular season record than people think with Kemba Walker playing, playing hard and being beloved by Boston sports fans, if they continue to be above us in the standings, that could be something that internally infuriates him and keeps him playing really hard too. Not to undercut the, uh, the analysis there, but did you just refer to him as Kemba Waka? I was hoping you wouldn't catch that. <laughs> well, I thought you were doing it because he's now in, playing in Boston. Campbell Waka. Campbell Waka. Yeah, that fit. That's a good point. I'll just I'll just pretend that I was doing that uh, consciously. Campbell Waka had a game of his life. Totally wasn't doing that because we've been talking for an hour and twenty five minutes. <laughs> and my mental it, capacity is starting to slip. Well, I, I listen. You are you're you're going to be approaching where I was at the beginning of this uh, recording. Montpellier. No, I mean mental state wise. I I, uh, <laughs> I had a long day. Started with a power outage for thirty minutes. I was like, I wasn't sure if I would even have power for this podcast. So, um, well, anything you want to leave our viewers with before we uh, wrap it up here? Well, I do feel bad that we didn't talk a lot about the Nets Pacers historically and even my experience with the Nets. Cause I used to go to games in the nineties in the late, in the mid to late nineties at continental airlines. And I remember those players. Um, I have a lot of good stories about going there. I actually went to a Nets game instead of going to my junior prom and I wasn't a Nets fan, but you know, just to get, I started loving basketball in high school. So I tried to get out there as often as I could. So I wait a second. Hold on. You skipped your junior prom to go to a Nets game that the Pacers weren't playing in, and you weren't a Nets fan. No, I don't remember if the Pacers were playing or not. I should say that. What I do remember is there was a fan who came up with one of the. There was a fan a couple of rows behind us who who came up this with this. Hmm. How would you say it? I don't know. It wasn't, it was like a chant to the referees. And I remember it very well. It's not great, but it's always stuck with me. And hey, he was obviously, it was a little bit inebriated and he was going, ref, hey, hey, ref, if you had one more eye, you'd be a Cyclops. And I, that's, that's really stupid, but I loved it as a kid, as a junior in high school. That's my favorite. I say that to refs all the time now. And now, unfortunately, I go to a lot of Little League games. So, you know, it doesn't serve me well, but. So you're going to Little League games by yourself? Isn't that what people do these days? Sure. I just don't want to get you. In, a, I don't want to get you in trouble with anybody. So I'm just going to say sure. 
We're going to have to edit that one out of the podcast, too. <laughs> I told you beforehand, we don't edit, so you're screwed. Well, I'm, I assume by the length of this that you'll have to cut something out. Nothing's getting cut. People are going to tune out about 33 minutes in. Yeah, that's probably 33 minutes. You're very generous. <laughs> I feel like your first story was compelling. It wasn't told well, though, which, which is the main importance in telling a story is, is the way it's told, not the content. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. You, are you throwing exactly. old, old school sales adages at me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was this is the first time I've ever been recorded, hopefully. I mean, obviously, Google. First time you've ever and, been recorded, uh, not by the FBI. Well, not by you know the, the major tech companies, <laughs> right? Alexa, play Super Trip. Great, great band. Uh, well, if anybody's still listening, their Alexa just started playing Super Trip, which <laughs> you're welcome. You think people uh, have this just playing loud? You think I think this is. W- w- I think this podcast is pe- people listen to it when they're when they're uh, asleep, working out. What were you sleeping? Sleeping? Yeah, asleep. <laughs> asleep. Oh, they're on a commute, hey. just something to take their mind off it. Oh, man. If you think your voice is something you could sleep to, I got it. I know for I know personally for a fact that's not the case. <laughs> oh God! All right, we got to wrap this thing up. Well, you can you can follow us on Twitter at Russell and Fro, as you know. If you want to email us and tell us how much you hated having a Pacers fan that grew up in New Jersey. On the podcast, please feel free. Alex gets a lot of hate mail, so he won't be offended. This will probably be milder than what he's typically getting. Russell and Fro at gmail.com. Uh, outside of that, I think we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, see you next time. Bye. Like a mama, you birthed me. Brooklyn, you nursed me. School me with hard knocks, better than Berkeley. They said you murked me by the time I was 21. That shit disturbed me, but you never hurt me. Hello, Brooklyn. If we had a daughter, guess what? I'ma call her Brooklyn Carter. When I left you for Virginia, it didn't offend you. Cause you know I only stepped out to get dinner. Hello, Brooklyn. How you doing? Back.